two humorous nurses would like to acknowledge the true custodians of the land in which we record our podcast, the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. SafeStyle makes stylish and practical safety glasses that take you from the worksite to the weekend. Upgrade your PPE today with their stylish and functional range of safety glasses. Whether you're on shift, on call, first to the scene or in study mode, SafeStyle have you covered. Available in clear UV 400, blue light blocking, transition, polarised and prescription lenses. We love these safety glasses for their durability and comfort and are excited to share our discount code with you all. Use our code HUMOROUS10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's HUMOROUS, H-U-M-E-R-U-S-1-0 at checkout for 10% off. Two Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. The podcast that doesn't give on Danzatron to patients with a bowel obstruction because that's <laughs> shitty. <laughs> Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. Today I'm flying solo because Alicia's got um, issues. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, she had something come up and we decided we were just going to plow ahead anyway. So today um, we're talking about palliative care. What is it really? And I have Sarah, who some of you might know. Who is my former colleague who's on maternity leave, how rude, <laughs> and our friend of the pod. Yeah. And she's been bugging us for the whole three years. <laughs> when am I going to be on the podcast? When am I going to be on the podcast? And now she is and she's nervous as all hell. Nervous. I've made so many notes. <laughs> she's so like, I've many. made a couple and she's three sheets of paper in front of her. <laughs> if anyone. Actually, no, there's four. No, but the last one's like your... Like that's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But that's if anyone knows me, that is just typical me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Sarah is a palliative care nurse consultant. Is that what the, that's what it's yeah, called? Clinical nurse consultant. Clinical. Oh, fancy. Yeah, fancy. And an oncology nurse. I didn't put that in originally, but I'm like, you are an oncology nurse. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, tell us about why. Like right back at the start, yeah. why did you become a nurse? Well, I actually really wanted to be a paramedic. Oh, story of everyone's lives. Yeah. <laughs> and now I think about it like I would make a terrible paramedic. Oh, you'd be the worst. But we had like someone from the local um, Latrobe campus come and cancel us in year 12. And she's like, what do you want to do? And I said, I really want to be a paramedic. And she was like, oh, what do you think your enter will be? Which I think is called an ATAR now. I don't know. Whatever. That score that you get. Yeah. It means absolutely <laughs> I nothing. finished high school in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. I was born you in were the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I said, oh, she's like, what do you think your score will be? And I said, oh, roughly 70 to 80 was what I was thinking I would get. And what was it? And she literally went, ha! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh. She's like, oh, darling, just apply for nursing. And I'm oh! like, which now I'm a nurse is incredibly insulting. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I just applied to be a nurse because I'm like, no chance of being a paramedic. Um, and then I think I either got 68 or 78. I don't even remember. And that is just a reflection of how unimportant that number actually is. For anyone yes, listening. very true. Um, but I didn't really actually want to be a nurse. So I deferred for like four, three or four years and just worked in retail. Um, 
And then my, I witnessed my sister have a C-section when I was like 20 or something and it just made me really want to be a nurse. Definitely not a midwife. <laughs> Definitely not. I No disrespect to midwives. I think you were absolute angels on this earth, but I, I don't think I could ever be a midwife. But um, coincidentally, a lot of midwives when I had Leo used to actually be palliative care nurses. There was like two oh. or three that were like, oh, I was a palliative care nurse. It's like the juxtaposition between bringing life yeah. into the world and taking life out of it. Yeah. Well, not, you don't oh. take their life out, but, you know, <laughs> being there at the end yes. or at the start. Yeah. <laughs> Different end of the spectrum. But, yeah. um, yeah, so I, yeah, went back to uni when I was 21 and studied nursing. Um, I did my last big rotation as a student nurse in ED and then my first grad rotation in ED and I thought I'd absolutely be a crit care nurse and that was what I was going to do. I loved emergency, which, again, if anyone knows me, would probably shock people because it's – Chaotic. And you're not. (laughs) I'm so, like, regimented and routine and spreadsheets and lists and ED is not like that at all, but I really did love it. Um, But, yeah, then I sort of dipped into palliative care a little bit um yeah went from there and you did your what did you do grad certificate or you yeah did, you so grab I'd started off um my last rotation as a grad nurse was on like a subacute ward which had some inpatient palliative care beds and that's sort of where I got my initial exposure and thought oh I really like this um and then we had some of the community palliative care team come to like a grad day we had like we used to have like self-care days and they came along and sort of just talked about what they did in the community and it really just like sucked me and mm. I was like hook, line and sinker, that's what I want to do. So I absolutely pestered the crap out of the community nursing numb <laughs> <laughs> to the point of probably being annoying. Um, and I did some supernumerary days with them and she sort of put me on to doing my postgrad cert at Flinders. There was no jobs there at the time, but she said, you know, do your studies and if something comes up, like, you know, we'll yeah. keep you in mind. Um, and yeah, so I did the postgrad cert whilst working in ED, like the year after my grad year. And then, yeah, by the end of that year, I was lucky enough to get like cover some prolonged leave um, in community pale care. And then, yeah, they haven't got rid of me. Yeah. Until now I'm on mat leave. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely um, loved the postgrad certificate. Um, and then I went on to do the postgrad diploma, which was just another four subjects. Yeah. But um, they were all just super interesting and, yeah, really, really good. And applicable, to I think, to all areas of nursing, not just palliative care. Like, yeah. Particularly the communication stuff was really incredible. Um, yeah. Tell me what palliative care is because when we say to patients, I mean, I always say to patients – do you want, like, you know, you have metastatic disease, yeah. we need to um, do a referral to the palliative care team, we need yeah. to do it early so you can form a relationship, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But then they're like, but I'm not dying. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, um, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not what palliative care means. But everyone thinks palliative thinks dying. Absolutely. But that's like palliative care is a big broad yeah and that is like so when we have students working with us or I'm doing any sort of education or anything that is literally the first key message that I tell people that palliative care is not just end of life care you'll hear people all the time say oh they're palliative they're on a syringe driver and I think the most important thing we can do is say are they end of life care or are they palliative because another really important message is that people can still be having active you know, chemotherapy or immunotherapy treatments or even radiotherapy whilst on a palliative trajectory. 
And I think that that is a really common misconception and that leads people to think that palliative care is just end-of-life care. Um, It's absolutely not. It is such a huge umbrella of care. It's symptom management. It's quality of life. um, You know, it's caring for the carer. And that's, I guess, what community palliative care is, is helping people to be at home and helping them to be well, helping them to, you know, live their life and to do the things they enjoy. And obviously when it does come to that time that they're deteriorating, end-of-life care is a huge part of what they do as well. Um, And community palliative care helps support people who do want to die at home rather than in a hospital or aged care setting. Um, I should also add community palliative care also caters for people in residential aged care because that is their home. And yes, I didn't know that yeah. until you started working with us yeah. and we had a nursing home patient. Yeah. And like I you know, and I didn't think that their pain management was enough yeah. or the right thing. And yeah. um and you were like, You should do a referral pal of care. I'm like, but they're in an aged care facility. Yeah. And she's like, No, exactly, you should yeah. still do it. That's their yeah. home. And I sort of thought, Oh, I never thought about that because aged care doesn't necessarily uh know or have the like there's not always doctors available yeah. to help with their pain Absolutely. and their symptom control and things like that. Yeah. Um. And we do a lot of preemptive, and that's how we sell it to them. We're like, yeah. we're trying to keep you home as long yeah. as possible with support, because yeah. eventually your symptoms are going to become to the point where you need yeah. more help. And I'm like, I can help you in here in the hospital, but that's it. Yeah. Like I don't do your home stuff. You like, need, and that's. I guess that's the thing, like it's everything that you can do in a hospital, they can virtually do in the home Yeah. within, you know, within reason, I guess. But, you know, the services can link with a whole array of other services, you know, physio, OT, social work, all of that sort of stuff. They liaise with your oncologists or, you know, and the other important thing is it's not just for malignant patients too. Um, There's this whole, you know, area that's up and coming for palliative care for people with dementia, which again Mm. is something that is under-referred. And it's super complex for carers to manage people with dementia in the community. And there's so many supports out there, but people just don't know where to find them. And that's where being linked with a service like community palliative care is really helpful because... You know, they yep. are sort of your coordinators and your, you know, your, your yeah. centre and they can reach out and get you and everything I think you need. Like that's a really good point that it's not just for people with cancer. Yeah. That it's for any chronic illness that's yeah. terminal. Yeah, absolutely. So your COPD. Yeah, heart failure, dementia. Um, I've got baby brain. I can't think of yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but no, there's like so many sort of, of them. Oh, like, there is. I think, yeah, and that's important because people just assume if you've got cancer, then you yeah. need to. And that, that yeah. is the majority, but yeah. it's not everybody. I think, oh, I'm trying to think back when I did a bit of project work in 2020, I think it was, and I reckon the ratios were something around like 80% malignant, 20% non-malignant, but that was back then and, I mean, yeah. that could have changed by now. But that's another really common misconception is that – like, you know, people with non-malignant illnesses yep. can't be referred, but they absolutely can. And I oft, I personally find them the most complex ones to manage, yeah. um, particularly your COPDs because they have that up and down trajectory, like, you know, they're really mm. well until they're not and then they come back a little bit and then they get really unwell again and, yeah, they're quite tricky Actually, to manage. Actually, I had a webinar this afternoon yeah. with the um, the consultancy in Bendigo yeah. that yeah. – the longest name consultancy for your regional. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Lod and Mallee Regional. Lod and Mallee Regional 
palliative, palliative care, care consultancy. consultancy. I've it's like another letter the lo- in there. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, they showed the trajectory of um, you know, from like well to death yeah. for people, you know, like traumatic. So it's like fine yeah. and then down. And then, yeah, it showed like chronic um, like COPD has literally yeah, up and down. So cancer is like a really steady yeah. decline. And there was something else and I it was like sort of all over the place. I think they have one for dementia. Yeah. yeah. So there was four. Yeah. And I, I thought, oh, that really, mm. um, yeah, it just shows that it, there's never, there's always a time and a place for these, yeah. you know, things. Services, and yeah. um, and that the there's a lot out there. Yeah that people don't know about. Yeah. And so every um like health region has a palliative care yeah. area. So um like even with the Lodden Mallee one, they showed how many different areas had community palliative care. Yeah. Um which is quite timely we're doing this today actually. I yeah. watched it this afternoon. <laughs> I had the the <laughs> Lodden Mallee special interest group yeah. webinar. I was oh, like, awesome. I was zoomed in on that. And it was yeah. a palliative care consultancy group yeah. telling us about what they do. Yeah. Um and I was like, oh that's really you know, they have nurse practitioners and everything. Like we yeah. just recently had a patient and she prescribed antiemetics and things for yeah. him that he couldn't because he couldn't get into his GP. Which like, is so common. Story of our lives. There's actually like there is a need. So like partic- we know in our area that there's massive gaps with the GPs and I'm sure it's mm. the same everywhere. There is like such a need for nurse practitioners yeah. in palliative care. And like particularly in residential aged care, like that is literally a whole other podcast I could bang on about for days <laughs> about palliative care and resi aged care. But, um, you know, the doctors and, you know, the access for those residents is so poor. Yeah. Um, and it puts so much stress on those facilities and those staff. And, you know, good palliative care and good symptom management should be their bread and butter because, yep. um, you know, Sounds terrible, but my nan used to call nursing homes God's waiting room. No, exactly. And it should be, you know, it should be their gold. Like it should be what they aim for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But that access is an issue. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's an issue for us healthcare workers who know how to use the system. So imagine if you're like incapacitated or you have limited ability. Like anyway, that's a whole whole other podcast. (laughs) I've been rolling around in my head thinking (laughs) how can we do that? But anyway, what's your favourite part about being a palliative care nurse? I mean, I know you love it because like you bang on about it all the time. time. (laughs) Um, It's so cliche, but the people. I just love working with the families and the carers and I don't think you get much more vulnerable than when you're dying and just to see like I mean some families are not great but that's just a given yeah but to see just the pure like unfiltered love that people have for their loved ones Mm. and the care that people give like seeing grown men farmers wiping their dad's you know backsides yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know stuff like that that they would never do but they just mm. have so much love for this person and it just brings out like we all know that death brings out the best in people and the worst but um it really is just yeah the connections that people have and witnessing that mm. and I think it's just a massive privilege to be able to you know play a part in that yeah um and yeah, I just love it. It's I really think midwives get all the glory because you bring new life into this yeah. world and it's a beautiful experience and yeah. we won't talk about the stuff that could go wrong in yeah. those moments where brand new life is not there yeah, or absolutely. things go wrong and we've both yeah. had um, not pleasant births so we yeah. <laughs> we know how that can go. How that can but go. We, we underestimate the power of being there 
at the end. Yeah. Like I love – I mean, I don't want to do community palliative care. That's yeah. not for me. <laughs> but I love palliative care within a hospital when you can like make their peace, um, yeah. make their death peaceful. Yeah. And I like – yeah, I think it's people are so scared of it. And I'm like, yeah. no, you just embrace it. Like People are scared of it. And I remember when I told my mum I was going to do palliative care because I'm the type of person that if I'm like down the street and I see an old man eating alone, like I'll be in tears. Like I remember Sean yeah. and I went to the movies <laughs> once and there was an old man alone sitting behind us. And I the entire movie, like I couldn't even tell you what the movie was about <laughs> because I just kept turning around to like check on this old man. And I'm like, oh, my God, his wife's probably dead. And Sean's like, his wife's probably annoying as shit and he's left her at home because she was going to talk the whole way through the movie. Like, shut up. And so when I told my mum that I was going to do palliative care, she's like, oh, I don't think that's for you. Like, I think you'll be too emotional. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to want to bring everyone home. Like, But I've actually found it really easy to... Yeah, I've just adjusted to it and I think it's just because I do feel like it's such a privilege and, you know, I don't take it for granted that people do allow us into their homes at Mm. what is the most rawest, hardest, difficult time in their life. And I don't like the term a good death because I don't like, I don't know, I feel like every death is sad and horrible for the people that it affects. Yeah, But, you know, dying can be... A beautiful thing yes um and you know some people find it really peaceful and are at peace with it and some people aren't they fight it and fight it and fight yeah. it um but yeah I just I really love it and yeah very passionate about it yeah yeah I love that <laughs> do you and just on that the letting it go do you think because um you know like we're both very empathetic mm. people and I think yeah. um you know, we work in industry or in specially specialist areas that sometimes we do take it home yeah. with us. How did you learn to let it go or be at peace with it? Um, it's funny because working in the two different areas, I found that my emotions are very different. So I Working in oncology, when we have patients that, you know, we're seeing them off to, you know, go have end-of-life care or we're stopping their treatment because they're at that next stage of their trajectory and they're deteriorating, I often find that Mm. harder to deal with than I do losing one of my, like, palliative patients um, for end-of-life care. And I don't actually know why that is. I've thought a lot about it and I don't know whether... I don't know whether I have in my head that in oncology we're treating them and we're helping them, but then in palliative care we're treating them and helping them but in a different way. I really don't know what that division is. Yeah. Um, But I think just being able to talk openly about it and that is like the key um, I think to being able to cope with all the, you know, the difficult things that do come with the job is like our team is just incredible and our manager is incredibly supportive and she just seems to be so intuitive she just knows when we're you know yeah teetering on the edge and when, <laughs> and when we're not um and yeah I think just being able to speak openly about you know things that might be triggering you or affecting you yeah. um and yeah I think the um ability to yeah decompress after a shift is really important yeah how but, much yeah. time do you spend sitting in your car in your driveway <laughs> <laughs> a lot I feel judged <laughs> I think the longest I spent sitting in the car after work one day was about 45 minutes, I reckon. Yeah. 
and just just put the seat back. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes Sean would come home and I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> Better get out. <laughs> Look busy. <laughs> but, yeah, I do do a lot of just sitting in the car decompressing. I don't know why the car is different to my lounge, but I don't know. It's Must just the, the effort of getting or, out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the 10 or so steps to get inside. <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's interesting when we talk about death at work as well, like especially when it involves our patients, we're a little bit more like, you know, like it's been a – we, we do have that little bit of attachment, whether we're yeah. treating for palliative care reasons yeah. or for curative reasons. Yeah. It, I think it is a little different to a palliative care patient. Yeah. Um, because we, I, I mean, I don't think you would bond any differently to the patients. It's just that you're giving them treatment maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, from a palliative, and we don't, we don't joke about death with those pay, like no. not well, we would never joke about with them, but yeah. about you know like yeah. when we decompress. But with palliative stuff, we tend to maybe say little jokes that mm. if other people hear us, if you're not a nurse oh, and you hear a God. nurse, do you not judge them? Yeah, like they have yeah. probably done the most traumatic thing. So if they're cracking a joke about They've cracking a rib shit. or you know like <laughs> just let it go, yeah, right? Don't absolutely. you've not walked in their bloody crocs. And so. I sort of feel like as a nurse, you have to have a bit of a twisted sense of humor sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think that's why people like us. Yeah. Isn't it? People like to drink with us yeah. because we are fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think that's why some patients like bind to us as well. Like, is yeah, because they know like the ones that want to have a laugh about yeah. it. Like, um, and they come know. in, you ask how they are, and they're like, no, half well, half dead today. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Don't die here. Yeah. Die on the footpath. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much paperwork too in much here. Paperwork. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So in our culture, like death is so taboo. Yeah. It's a topic that we just don't talk about. People die. We don't like to mention it. We don't even know what to say to we people. We don't say their names ever again. Nothing. Like yeah. it's so, you know. Whereas in other countries and not not even um, like even Western countries, yeah. they yeah. put them in the front like lounge room. Like on McLeod's Daughters. Yeah, for days on yeah. end just so the town can come and say their it's goodbyes. Say goodbye That's what I expect everybody to do. I expect you to put me out the front. Light a bloody fire pit, eat some tacos. You'll be cold because the fire pit has to suck. I'm going to draw a moustache. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then have a margarita. No. <laughs> um, but why Why do you think that death is something that in 2023 we still struggle to talk about openly? I think because it's an emotional topic. And as a society, like, I think, and I think that's evolving. And I think, you know, in time that will change. But I think people just don't like to talk about things that are going to upset them. That and uncomfortable. I, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I get it. Like I do. Like who wants to sit down and say to your mum, well, when you die, like mm. what do you want to do? And But I think the best gift you can actually give your loved ones is telling them and letting them know what you would and wouldn't want. There is nothing worse. Yep. And I've been in that situation when you're standing there and you've got to make a decision for a person that can't talk for themselves. Yeah. Um. There's nothing worse than not really knowing what that person would or wouldn't want. And then you're the one that has to live with the repercussions of that. So, yeah, if you were having a conversation with your mum or your dad or grandparents, friend, partner, whoever, and you should be having these conversations with everyone no matter how old you are because shit happens, um, you know, if something horrible happened to you, would you want to be left in an unfunctionable state? Like would you want to have to rely on people to give you 24-7 care? And – 
you know, they go, oh, God, no, I wouldn't want that. Mm. Or you might think they wouldn't want that. And they say, oh, no, that'd be okay as long as. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fine. I can blink. We'll <laughs> be me, right. Yeah. Put me in the front room. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I think that that is the most important thing. And even the little things like, um, you know, what music you want to play. Like, mm. I remember this one, like, um, patient that I cared for. She'd had this whole conversation with me about the music she wanted. And I'd said to her, have you spoke to your family about that and she said no because I'm afraid to because they'll get upset Mm. and I said well that's okay but you know they they might want to know and she still couldn't like bring herself to do it and that was fine that was her prerogative and then like she passed away and one of the daughters rang and she said oh mum told me that she told you what music she wanted and we never talked about it she couldn't and I'm just wondering (laughs) if you remember and I'm like yeah I remember (laughs) and you know like stuff like that it doesn't have to be about the nitty-gritty stuff sometimes it's the Mm. little things that are really important to talk about because yeah they're the most important things um but yeah I think like people think that palliative care is just about dying but it's really about living and that's Mm. where good palliative care and good community palliative care comes into it because it's managing those symptoms yep. and um, caring for the carer. That's a huge part of what yep. um, community palliative care does as well is supporting the carers, um, you know, making sure that they can live well and do the things that they love, spend time with the people they love and, yeah, stuff like that. That's the There's a great thing. Um, video on YouTube and I think I've talked about it in a previous oh, um, yes. thing, The Thousand Days. Oh, yeah. Like yep. what would you do if you only had a thousand days left? Yes. Like, And it. I remember I think we watched it together when we were doing some education or something. In a webinar or something. Oh, and I just we were like so emotional. Yeah. It's (laughs) like the people walk past and like it it says how many days they have left. And And a thousand days is literally two and a bit years. Imagine knowing is that right? Three and a bit. bit Three and a bit years. (laughs) My mouth is terrible. Um, if you only had a thousand days left, how would you spend it? And it's like, you know, when you have a terminal diagnosis of whatever, whether it's you know, COPD or cancer or or anything, just that doesn't mean you're going to die immediately, but it may mean you only have a thousand days. So how are you going to spend that? And if palliative care at home, whether that's just some support for the carer or support for you or bringing in a shower chair because you can't stand anymore or some nutritional support, then that might make those thousand days better. And, um, yeah, that's a good video. I'll link it in the show notes, but it's worth – it's actually worth watching. Like it's a beautiful – it's quick. It's only a couple of yeah. minutes. It's very insightful and quite confronting actually. Very confronting, yeah. But I think like, yeah, the way – the best way to put it, like if you had a 1,000 days and good palliative care started on that first day could yep. get you to the 998th yep. day, you know, living your best life yep. and then two days of, you know, end-of-life care, yeah. then absolutely consider it as an option I think so many people are quick to push it away because again they think it means you know I often say to people when you know you go for that initial visit and you're introducing and you can tell they're just a little bit standoffish Mm. and you know I'm often say like you know people think we're the grim reapers but we're really not like we're here to really help make your life easier and um and that's exactly what it is like that's why I always Mm. say it's support it's like it's like they're doing the job that I do in here to help you within yeah. the, the hospital, they're doing in the community, yeah. in your home, yeah. with your family. Absolutely. Like it's just – And I think yeah. during COVID, community palliative care played such an integral part because, 
you know, people were in hospital and they weren't allowed to have people visit yeah. and those multidisciplinary discharge meetings and all of that, it didn't happen and the discharges home was so complex because, you know, we didn't know that there's no there's steps at every entrance yeah. because OT couldn't go home and do the visits and yeah. it was really hard. But, you know, you go into the home and everyone can be there and you can have those yeah. conversations and, um, yeah, it just it's so important to go through all those bits and bobs and during COVID did you find that uh more people died at home than in the hospital because they could have their family with them so I was doing project work for a big chunk of COVID so I can only sort of pass on I guess the last year and a bit really which COVID was still a thing and restrictions were still a thing um but yes, a lot of people who were otherwise very, very unwell and probably would have and sh- maybe should have been in hospital were choosing to be at home yeah. because they could be at home with their loved ones. They didn't want to come yeah. to hospital and not, you know, see their loved ones for the last time. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head, um, but yeah, a huge, yeah. huge number of people choosing to die at home instead. Can you tell us about dying at home? Because yeah. um, like... I don't get it. Like, what do you do? (laughs) So basically you do everything that you do in a hospital. So um, community palliative care, like, play a huge role um, when people want to have end-of-life care at home. Um, There's so much coordination that goes into it, you know, organising all the appropriate equipment so they can get things like hospital beds and, um, you know, providing continence aids and Every, like every big thing you could think of down to the little things like a basin and a face washer so that they can uh, have yeah. bed baths and yeah. stuff like that. Um, obviously, when people are needing subcut meds at home, that's part of what the team do as well and that's often educating the families how to give them. Obviously, the nurses can only be there for, you know, an hour out of 24 hours and yeah. the rest of the time it's up to the family. They're the ones there overnight you know, giving the care and giving the subcut meds and um, all of that. So, yeah, and syringe drivers managing all of that, manage pretty complex symptoms at home, um, nasogastric tubes, fluids if needed. Um, yeah, lots of lots of stuff, mm. more than I can even think yeah. of off the top of my <laughs> head. Um, another really important part of um, providing end-of-life care at home is educating the family and, again, you know, about all the big stuff like giving medications and symptom management and, yeah. you know, they might have pain and nausea but you've got to make sure that you've educated them about secretions and things too because yeah. that's going to happen in the middle of the night and if you haven't yeah. explained that to them, it's going to catch them off guard and they're going to panic. Yeah. Um, so really just thinking about every possible scenario and then accounting for it. Yeah. Um, the other big thing we educate families about is what to do if someone – like when someone dies at home, when yeah. someone actually passes away. Um, and that's pretty – that might actually differ depending on your organisation's policy. So I can only – Because they're s- admitted under your hospital as like – or they're not? No, oh, they're right. just a community patient. Okay. Um, so basically the community palliative care team will do the groundwork with the GP, making sure the GPs are on board um, and aware that the patient's receiving end-of-life care at home. And nine times out of ten they will be because they'll be writing the medications and giving the orders and we'll be giving them updates regularly. Um, The other important thing is to make sure they're happy to sign off on a death certificate, which, again, nine times out of ten they are. Every now and then you have issues if a GP is away or... You know, it's a patient that doesn't have a GP, which surprisingly happens a fair yeah. bit. Um, and that's when it can get a little bit messy. Um, 
Obviously, these deaths are what we call expected. So you don't need to ring an ambulance. You don't need to ring, you know, the police or anything like that. Um, Sometimes people panic and do ring an ambulance when their loved one has passed away and that's okay. And I think from experience often they just make some calls and they'll find out that it was an expected death. But there have been cases when a patient has been sort of relatively stable um, in their palliative care and you know their death has been sudden not unexpected but sudden you know they might have had a PE or something like that um and sometimes that can be a bit messy because an ambulance is called and then the police will be called and but usually those things can be smoothed over and yeah after discussions with specialists and things like that but um yeah that might change I have heard of um organizations that it is the policy that they need to ring an ambulance and the police um, so it might just be worth checking yep. depending on where you're working. So would the family then just – so you say it was the middle of the night yep. and you don't call um, palliative care or anything like that. Do you yep. just call – the family just call the funeral yeah, company direct so and the funeral company sorts out the death certificate? Yeah, and so um, within our organisation, we if it's overnight, we encourage the families to call like our after-hours team and just notify them Sure, um, yep. so that they can let – the pal care nurses yep. know. Um, we then encourage them to call the funeral director whenever they're ready. Some people yeah. want to call them within half an hour and yep. some people keep them till the sun comes up, whatever yep. they're comfortable with. Um, and then, yeah, the funeral director, if it's out of hours, will um, come via ED or, you know, urgent care, depending on what town they're in, um, yes. and have the patient verified. Yes, I've had to do that twice. Yeah. It's the most weird thing when yeah. the doorbell rings and in from the ambulance bay. Yeah. You're like, why is there a hearse in my ambulance yes. bay? Like, yeah. Can you just come certify this? And I was like, certify what? <laughs> I'd never done it before. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he's like, just tell me they're dead. And I was like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, just give me one moment. <laughs> I remember the first time I was ever working in ED and a hearse pulled up and I was like so confused. Like this was yeah. before I worked in palliative care and I'm like, uh, have we missed a it's step It's a little here? late. <laughs> but, um, yeah. See, the things we laugh about. I know, it's um, terrible. <laughs> but um, if it's oh during the day or within like working hours, they can call the pal care team yeah. um, and the nurses will go out and um, certify the patient and um, often help the family wash and sort of oh, prepare lovely. the body, which is yeah. actually really a really lovely thing yeah. to do. Um, I find it really, particularly if you've been heavily involved with a patient yeah. and a family, it's a nice little bit of closure, I think. Yeah. It doesn't happen that often because I feel like people tend to die overnight. Oh, um, I know. How rude. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it is, yeah, it is a really nice thing to do. And it's nice for the families too, I think. There, I When I was in Perth, my stepmom was like, you have to watch this episode of Australian Story. You have to watch it. It's on a funeral company. Oh. And I was like... Righto. And it was on this funeral coming and I cannot for the life of me remember what the name of it is, like Harmony or something like that. And they're like a not-for-profit company in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales. I actually could have that completely wrong. Anyway, it's some out of – Somewhere. Some hippie kind of town. Yeah. And they have created like Nimbus. a community-based – it's not Nimbus <laughs> or Byron Bay – a community-based um, funeral company that's yeah. low-cost. Yeah. Um, if you can afford, you pay, I think it was like $250. If yes. you can't, then people that have previously paid. And they go in the home and they 
prep the body. Yeah. They oh, do the beautiful. the whatever they want them to do for yeah. the um, like one person that died was an artist, and he wanted everyone to paint his coffin, oh, and so they beautiful. just got um, a cardboard coffin because yep. that's what he wanted. And like, yeah. and do you know was, that they're actually not that cheap. No, I know. They're not as cheap yeah. as I was expecting them to be. That's what they were saying. I had like, a patient that was adamant on having a cardboard coffin and then when he found out how much they were, he was outraged. Oh, he was like, just collect some boxes from Bunnings. <laughs> um, and and it, I thought, oh, that's so – such a beautiful – because yeah. funerals are so ridiculously oh, overpriced are. and they're yeah. stuffy and gross. And, it's like weddings. Like oh, as soon as you add, yes. as soon as you say funeral, it's like dollars, dollars, dollars. Yeah, it's like you need a ten thousand yeah. dollar casket to be buried in you or need, burnt in. You need gold handles. I was like, it's too bad you can't rent one, <laughs> be in it, and then get chucked in the fly. <laughs> anyway, maybe I'll start my own company. Um, so <laughs> probably make oh, a lot of money from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have this in the questions, but mm. you, the way you were um, just doing the whole talking about when when people have died in the home and you can go in, yeah. Palliative care doesn't just stop when the patient dies either, no, do you? You have a whole not. bereavement part of yeah. it too. Yeah, so that's a huge part of what we do as well. Um, so bereavement follow-up and support. And, you know, some people you'll ring them, you know, we often ring sort of after the patient has died and depending on when that is, it could be within 24 hours, yeah. it's a weekend, you know, whatever. But um, we ring and just check in, offer our condolences and – you know, just see if there's anything in that immediate instance that we can do. Um, we then sort of follow up within a couple of weeks after that and offer a home visit where we yeah. actually go and have like a bereavement visit. And again, that gives us a chance to assess how that person is coping, how they're managing yeah. or people, I should say, because often it's more than one person um, and, you know, offer resources and that sort of thing. And then we follow up again at the three-month mark and again at the six-month mark. Yeah. Um, if there's any red flags in that time, we send off referrals. We do more intensive follow-up yeah. depending on what they need. And then at 12 months, we send a card to say, you know, that we're thinking of you. We know it's been a year and that sort of thing. Um, some people are fine. Some people don't want anything. Yeah. Some people you ring and they'll be like, nah, I'm fine. You know, yeah. I'm good. I've got good family support. Other people you ring at three months and they'll be fine. You'll ring at six months and they'll be fine. And then at nine months they ring you and they're in an absolute mess. Yeah. And that's the other important thing. We stress to them all the time. You can ring us anytime. Our care hasn't just stopped because, yep. you know, your loved one's passed away. Um, so, yeah, that's a big part of what the service does as well. Yeah. And – I think that is important for some people because mm. not everyone has family support. Not everyone has people that you yeah. know, check on them. And I think the other thing is, and it comes back to us, what we were saying before about people not wanting to talk about death, is people don't want to talk about grief either. No. People don't want to, you know, yeah. say like, I was reading a thing today actually, it was like, you know, don't stop saying their name. Don't mm. Don't say, oh, how are you? Say, how are you since you've lost? you know yeah um, acknowledge acknowledge their loss. yeah absolutely yeah. and I think that's imp- really important to people as well yeah. is that they don't feel forgotten and I think that yeah. happens like you know people stop bringing casseroles people stop you they, know that's right they stop popping calls. by yeah I think you're the that's such a lovely thing too for you yeah to be able to have that ongoing yeah because there's nothing and that's probably the one thing that um, you know, we had we lost a patient in July yeah. and all I wanted to do was reach out. But he did not die in our hospital. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's not my job to call the family to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Um, 
I probably could with this family and it would have yeah. been okay, but yeah. also, you know, like. You don't want to set a precedent for what you have to do for a no. family. And the, you yeah. know, the family did ring me to let me know that he had passed and that yeah. was nice. But then, yeah, and then I was just, like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about them because I, like, I feel like we'd seen them so regularly yeah. for nearly a year <laughs> and then they just go on and I, and then, you know, just before Christmas, his wife and his daughter came yeah. into the hospital and they front desk rang and they said, they're here at the front. Yeah. Can you come out? I was like, send them down. And she's like, no, they can't come down. And oh. I was like, oh. And so when I went to the front, they stand there crying. So I'm crying before <laughs> I even get to them. And I was like, like they brought, you know, a card and yeah. they brought his um, funeral things. And yeah. his funeral happened really quickly too. So we didn't yeah. even get a chance to, I missed it online. And, you know, yeah. like sometimes I would never attend a funeral unless the family asked, but yeah. Being online, like it's actually quite nice. Yeah, you we can could see in. it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and she brought like chocolates and, and she yeah. bought um, like a little Christmas thing for Amelia because she yeah. always bought something for Amelia. Yeah. And, and she was just said, I can't come down there. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I was like, I Too can't triggering. believe you've come over here. Yeah. Like, she said, Well, it's taken me all year. <laughs> like, she was just like, I'm like, I couldn't come any sooner. Yeah. And, and I said to her, oh, I'm so glad you came. Like, I wanted to say, yeah. I'm so sorry and give you a hug. And like, and it's, it like it was really lovely to yeah. to say and you know, I haven't it hasn't hung around with me yeah. since but not everyone wants to do that like I no. know there's one person in our community and I will literally leave the like I left Woolworths the other day because I saw they were in yeah. there and I was like I I do not want them to see me because yeah. I know they don't want to see me yeah we're too we're too triggering for people at yes times. and that that happens in palliative care too like I yeah. have, I have rang people for bereavement follow up and they've just said look, I'm doing okay, but your calls are a bit much for me at this point. Yeah. I know where you are and I'll ring you if I need yeah. you. And that's okay too. Yeah. Like you've got to – people are allowed to set boundaries. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, and that's, you know, that's ballsy for them to say too. Yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. I would just be like, oh, no worries. Okay, thank you. And then <laughs> Talk like, to you in three more months. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then hang up and cry for three days. <laughs> and then when you rang the next three months, oh, I'm so glad you called. <laughs> and but you yeah. – um, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but – your service also hold a um, like a ceremony, don't yeah. you? Like a yearly thing where yeah. to acknowledge everybody. Yeah, which is beautiful. And COVID um, sort of put a different spin on that, but we adapted and did it differently, which was still really beautiful, but not the same. But that, again, is just a really beautiful way to bring everyone together. Mm. Um, they read out the names of everyone that has passed mm. away. Um, and... You know, everyone's invited to light a candle and, you know, people come and just really love it and it's – I think it's really good for us as a team as well. Like it's quite nice to see everybody and it's – there's no pressure around, you know, going up and having conversations mm. with people. They approach us if they yeah. want to and they don't feel pressured to come to us. And, yeah. Um, it is really beautiful and they've done some amazing work in the bereavement area over there. Like they also have a bereavement walking group, which is amazing, mm. um, which is set up purely by that team and, you know, some great friendships have been formed from that group mm. um, and, yeah, it's just, yeah, really good. I think that's something that we um, – yeah, like you said, the grief, you know, we think of palliative, mm. well, not in palliative, just dying. Yeah. But then we don't think of that impact of grief yeah. and how, you know, because that grief affects everybody. I mean, yeah. some people can get over it and I don't mean get over it just yeah. to get over it, but I yeah. mean the grief to a point where they can live their life again yeah. very quickly. Yeah. 
um, whether they've grieved while they're in that palliative phase. Yeah, and, and then it's a relief and it's they can move through the phases really quickly. Yeah. Or they're stuck in it for years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially I think if the death is quite quick yeah. and, the, you know, they think they have more time or, yeah. you know. Um, and I think we're going to try and do it. Um, we've got quite a few death care type okay. topics coming up and I think yeah. grief is something that we're going yeah. to have to try and cover even though it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it is. But like I like I find grief really interesting as a, an emotion um, Yeah, because like people just handle it so differently. And one of the most important things I learned in my postgrad cert, we did like a whole subject on communication where if anyone is thinking about studying palliative care, I really highly recommend the Flinders course. It's just incredible. Um, and you actually do like a two or three day intensive at Flinders University where you do like simulations around communication. And mm. one of the most important things I learned from that was, and I use it like in my everyday life, not just at work, is that how people treat you and how people act is more about how they're feeling mm. than what they think about you as a person. And that applies so strongly to grief. Like, yeah. Um, and anticipatory grief more so. I think that people don't really realise they're grieving before their mm. loved one has died and how that can affect them as a person. Like, you know, people often say, I'm sorry I spoke to you like that the other day or I'm sorry that I did this or, mm. you know, I'm sorry that I snapped when you called and it's like, oh, God, it's And that fine. probably <laughs> happens a lot with dementia and Alzheimer's type patients that yeah. where they lose the person yeah. before for years, they For years die. before they die. Yeah. 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 And that grief. So by the time they have passed, yeah. it's probably more of a relief factor than it is yeah. The grief. And I think burnout is a huge thing yeah. for people caring for people burnout with dementia. Is yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. And that's like, you know, and that's another really good thing that community pal care do as well is linking in with carer support and carers mm. gateway, which are a really great resource. Um, that's yeah, as I said, caring for the carer is a massive mm. thing. Yep. No, that's um very interesting. What uh, advice would you have for nurses who are thinking about going into PACA? You mentioned Flinders Uni yeah. for your post-certificate. Yeah. I think if you like, if you have an interest in it but perhaps haven't done any work in the area, um, it's definitely worth, you know, seeking out some experience in the area. Make sure it's your cup of tea Yeah, because it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Like, like I said, midwifery is not my cup of tea. Yeah. Like, but, you know, <laughs> um, it's important to, I think, you know, find your feet and gain a bit of experience in the area. Make sure that you do cope with it emotionally. Yeah. You know, I remember I was working with someone once and we were sort of preparing a body and they said to me, they're like, I just don't know how you want to do this for your career. I don't know how you want to do this. And that just reflects that, you know, everyone is different. Everyone's built a bit differently and copes with things a bit differently and um, views it as a, you know, I view it as a beautiful thing and other people don't and that's okay. But I think absolutely getting some experience. So PEPA or PEPA, I never actually really know what it is, P-E-P-A, is a really great um, placement experience. I think it's palliative experience. I can't even remember what it stands for. (laughs) Um, But you can apply to do a placement through them and they match you with a service. And I believe that you can do like, you know, half the placement in like an inpatient setting and half yeah. in like a community setting. Oh, that's cool. Or with like a consultancy yeah. service. Um, so I highly recommend that and you can literally just Google that and um, I think you just send them like an expression of interest. Just live Google what the P-E-P-A stands for. 
program of experience of the palliative approach, I reckon. Wow. Am I right? I should know. That's embarrassing that I don't. Keeps coming up Peppa Pig. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Peppa Pig. Some live music while I Google. Uh, Palliative approach. Uh, yeah, the program of experience in palliative approach. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they also do like reverse placements too, where they'll send like a consultant to your hospital um, and provide like training and placement. Oh, wow, that's hospital. really cool. Yeah. So um, I know one of my colleagues has done that and found it really valuable. So mm. that's good. Um, Banksia Palliative Care also provides some really great education. Um, and then obviously if you're wanting to sort of step further and do post-grad qualifications, yep. I really recommend Flinders. Um, some of the subjects, like I can't even, I did eight subjects in total and I can't even remember them all, but they were just, yeah, really helpful. Um, and like I said, quite applicable to like all areas of nursing, yeah. not just palliative. And I think that's the other thing as well is that I think in whatever area you work in, you're going to come across death and dying, mm. even in midwifery. Yes. Um, like, I think that yep. people forget that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's such – I feel like it's something that should be covered more. Like, I don't even really remember learning or doing no. anything about it at uni. No. And that's what frustrates me about aged care is we're sending these PCAs or care assistants in yep. to do – you know, aged care work, which let's be honest, a good portion of aged care residents probably should be on a palliative trajectory, not end of life, but a palliative trajectory. And they've got no, they've got no education about symptom no. management. I need to be on peacock. Yeah, we do need to be on peacock. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other, whole other yeah. thing I could rant about for days. <laughs> um Google Peacock if you don't know what yeah, it is. P-C-O-C. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and, yeah, like I just think it should be it should be one of the core things that yeah. people learn. It's inevitable. Like yeah. we're all going to die at some point. Yeah. And um, it should be part of um, – I think it's it's really under-educated yeah. in all areas. But in, as you say, in aged care, I mean, yeah. there's only two, one outcome for your patients in yeah. aged care. yeah. You know? I mean, I've only ever known one aged care resident to go home. Yeah. And it turns out her dementia was post-op delirium. That's oh. why she went home. Well, a delirium's not great. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and I think <laughs> medical too. Like I don't know how much education is given to medical um, around palliative care and symptom management. Mm. and But that's why we don't give on Dantatron to people with bowel obstructions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doctors. If they're bowel obstruction, check for uh, spinal cord compression. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could, I could do a whole podcast on spinal cord compression. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, thanks for oh, – Wait, I want to add something else. Oh, okay. Because I remember ages ago you had someone message and ask about um, whether it's okay to cry in front of patients. Yes. And – I think it – I just want to say that it is okay to show emotion in front of patients. I think it shows that you're human and sometimes it's nice for them to see. But I think within a professional capacity, I think if you're like sobbing and the carer is comforting (laughs) you, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. (laughs) Red flag. Um, It's absolutely okay to show emotion. And I think that's how you form connections with people. And again, like I said, you're in people's lives and in their homes in a really vulnerable time yeah. and they need to know that you're human. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. But 
know, don't steal all their tissues. Yeah. Just subtle. have a tear. Subtle. Just a subtle little subtle wipe. Subtle little tap. And then get in the car and ball your eyes out. Yeah. <laughs> Sit in your driveway for yeah. 45 minutes. <laughs> Go buy some sushi. <laughs> yeah. A $20 salad <laughs> for a nourish. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, oh shit, I just knocked over our trophy. Oh. God. So I get a trophy? Georgie Carroll. Oh. Life, you know, we're inaugural oh, champions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Finally. It was a bit like, yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to listen to your own voice. Oh, God. I wonder nah. if Leo will Leo laugh will love in the it. car. Yeah. I, always, I was saying to Kelly that we always listen to <laughs> the podcast on a Wednesday morning on the way to rhyme time. And I swear Leo just knows the sound of Kelly and Alicia's laughs. And Sarah had her baby it. on my birthday. Yeah. And she didn't even leave me a Facebook, oh. an Instagram story for my birthday. She was too busy pushing out a baby. Kelly fully jinxed me. Fully jinxed me. Yeah, I mean. It's your fault that he came. I told you we weren't going to make it at 36 no. weeks. <laughs> what, did you, what did I say? If I make, no, if you, you said to me, if you make it past 36 weeks, I'll eat my shoe. And I didn't I, have to. Yeah. And I had him at, what did I have? Oh, no, 34 and 6. I was going to say I had him at 35 and 6, yeah. but it was 34 and 6. Very close. So I had a week's grace. Anyway. Anyway. I'm not eating your shoe. Um, that was really – I love talking about that. I like palliative Thanks. care. I like dying. I, I mean, I don't like dying. I like talking about dying and yeah. I, um, I want to have more conversations in this area. I think it's important to talk about it so that people – Especially as nurses. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. Like we're yeah. all – we have all seen someone die and if you haven't, you're going to. Yeah. Before the end of your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um. But before you die, go and rate us five stars <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast platform you're listening to us on. Oh, that's so funny. And uh, follow us on Instagram at Two Humorous Nurses or send us your story <laughs> to email hello at twohumoursnurses.com. You have to say bye with me. Okay. Bye. bye.